morning, everybody. <laughs> Welcome back to House Talk Pregame. I'm Dr. Lauren Pitts, that idiot. <laughs> Danny, you see, real, you see who the real bully is now, right? I, I said, said that's horrible. I said nothing. We yes, he did. He said a whole bunch of stuff. He's ignorant. And y'all probably heard it because there was technical difficulties while I was trying to bring us live. And you can always hear and see, even though we don't realize that we're live. So you probably heard him bullying me about my hoodie because he's rude and ignorant and ill-behaved all the darn time. All I, all I, I said was, all I said was, is you shouldn't be wearing a hoodie that supports bullies. That's all I said. That's Ronnie. all I said. That's Ronnie. all I said. You know what I will Ronnie. say though? I will, I will say I will give you all an ounce, an ounce of a compliment. It hurts my heart so bad that Dak has to be a Dallas Cowboy. I really like Dak. Not only is he the biracial brother of mine, but I really like his effort, his resilience, which we'll be talking about. He's about to have a baby today. girl too. Oh, word. Cool. He is about to be a daddy. He's they about, and they're friends. having a little girl. They can be friends. Cool, cool. <laughs> it just it just really hurts my heart that he has to be a Dallas Cowboy. He could have he could have been drafted beams, but he has to be on Dallas. So Dak is very well. Um is so and you know what? It's funny you say that because that's what Aaron Rodgers said. The scrutiny that all QBs team you play for. But then Dallas Cowboys is going to catch just because they're the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. I'm going to ask you real, real quick before we jump into all the stuff for our last year. Fraggle naggle text mess. They harassing me. And what I need you to admit is this out. Because I get it. I understand the planet that cares anything about Like, y'all, this, like, for real, that's what y'all doing. Y'all acting like that all this camaraderie and all this hype and all this trash talking that the Cowboys are the only ones that do it. Stop playing with me. Stop playing with me. <laughs> I told I I have told you before, it is not the football players that wear that blue and silver's fault. It is not their fault. I don't blame them. They have a job to do. They are getting paid very, very well for that job. They just so happen to have to play in Dallas. It is not the player's fault. It is the management, the ownership, the conglomerate, the association. Don't act like it's the players, Ronnie. Can, you, can you I just can Danny, I just add in? Please, we, go ahead. Go ahead. So you two sound like you need a moderator. Ronnie <laughs> has just expressed his feelings. <laughs> Dr. Lauren, how does this make you feel? <laughs> he just became our there our, our athletic therapist, bro. <laughs> like it's just craziness. Like it is absolute, just sheer freaking craziness. I remember my first husband saying, and this is when we were kids in in high school, obviously long before we got married. And he, even when our team wasn't necessarily playing that well, he would say that even though we lost the game. It was still a good game for him if he left with some of the other team's blood on him. <laughs> like, <laughs> like what? Dude, he had this thing. He was like, they would call a pile on the rabbit. <laughs> and it was like, mm. whoever had the ball. You remember mm -hmm. in, in Looney Tunes and Bugs Bunny and, and, and the rabbit? Now the rabbit has the gun. What you going to do? <laughs> he was like, it's pile on the rabbit. You had to have some of their, 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 their color or their stuff on your helmet. And you had to oh, have yeah. some of their blood. 
on your whether you won or not. It was like, you know what, we lost, but I got their blood. You know, it was still a good game. I'm like, come on, man. No, I've I've been I've been a part of not so good teams. Um, mm-hmm. more than I more than I would care to. Um, and my philosophy always was is as long as I could feel like I can go out there and do my job. Because right. my job is one of eleven other people, well, ten other people's job on the field yeah. at a given time. Yeah. So I always felt like as long as I took care of my job, right? Whatever happened to us as a team, right? I can only do one part of that out of eleven people on the team at on the field at one time. Yeah. If I did my part, I could be okay with that. Because when I was in high school, we weren't really good at all. And mm-hmm. you know, I always said that. Well, if I want to get noticed by schools. You got to play your heart out, regardless. We get blown out by 40, at least they'll say, well, damn, who was that on the line that was taking care of business? Like, um, so that was always my mentality. And I've also been like, I've part where my last year playing at State, um, it was our best season in school history. And Mm -hmm. I will never forget when we played, it was the second round of the playoffs. um, We played Bloomsburg up in uh, Pennsylvania. I will never forget it. It was I mean, it was 19 degrees that started kickoff, just finished snowing. It was cold out there. And we were doing really well. So we had a whole bunch of first-time fans who took the trip from uh, Petersburg all the way up to Pennsylvania. Wow. And by the third quarter, I kid you not, our own fans, I could, we could, because the stands to the field were maybe like 20 yards apart. So we could hear everything they were saying. And you heard people yelling at us, I drove all the way up here for this. Y'all suck. I can't believe this. Now, mind you, like, <laughs> the first time we ever been this far in the playoffs, it was the first time we was in the playoffs ever in school history, like, let alone win a playoff game, make it to the second round. And people who had never been to a game the entire season, not the other 10 wins that we had that season, but this one game, and it just so happened to be bone-chilling cold outside. I mean, they were talking to us as if we were 0-10 and not 10-2. and And so yeah. – I, as a player, I've been on both ends of it. I've been on where people yeah. boost your head up and say how great y'all are doing. I've also been on teams where people walk by you and say, y'all really suck. Like, why do y'all even play? That would right. piss me off because I'm like, why don't you bring yourself out there and I'll show you how bad I suck. Like, it, mm-hmm. pause for the people out there who know what I'm talking about. Pause. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no. So I, I, I understand from the player's perspective when yeah. fans, you know, uh, take things a little bit out of context and make mm-hmm. things like – there's a reason they call it fan because the real word is fanatic. And we already know a fanatic mm-hmm. is right. and, you know, obsessed right. with something specific and everything. So I understand the fans' perspective, but I also understand the players' perspective too when they hear fans heckle them. Like there was um who did the Eagles play last week? Um oh who was it? Who the did Bills. Play with? That was who? it was the Bills. I think yeah, I think it was the Bills. They played and, the Buffalo um, Bills. The Eagles fans was talking trash to the Bills and everything. One of the Bills mm-hmm. players came over to the um, stands and was trying to fight the uh, fan and whatnot. So it's like, <laughs> I think when it gets to that, that's when it's like, all right, it's getting a little carried away now because, bro, mm-hmm. you just spent like eight, $900 to come to a game. They're going to get their paycheck regardless, but you're mm-hmm. going to get thrown in jail. Like, well, and, no and, the, and the Philly, Philly, because the Eagles fans are so bad, they have their own jail at the stadium. <laughs> so. They yeah, they've got that. They they the police has satellite units around it, and they they have a jail and their own judge and everything. This is signed to them because their fans are horrible. Wow. <laughs> and I'm gonna need you, I'm gonna need you to be nice to Eric from here on out. I'm not sure all the time. Uh, Ask uh, him. Uh, well, when y'all play again in two weeks, I'm, uh, he needs that tomahawk. Steak, right? That ain't in two weeks. That's next Sunday night, and we'll be at that game. Is that Dallas? 
Yeah, it's here. Oh, yeah. All right, yeah. All and right. I, look, and I got a whole bunch of people coming to town for that game. It's Hotel Bounds next week. <laughs> it's, it's Hotel Bounds up in here next week because we got so many people coming to town for that game. Well, that's good. That means you'll have enough people to console you after Eric has to celebrate again for another week and lock up the uh, division title and all that My good name. stuff. So I'm glad you are bringing your support circle down. Ronnie, moving right along. <laughs> now, Ronnie, you're being slightly passive aggressive. Thank you. Thank you, therapist coach. And we may need to take a five minute here. And <laughs> Dr. Warren, would you like to respond? <laughs> so we have a really great show lineup for you all today. It is our last show of 2023. It is crazy how fast this year has flown by. Yes. It is crazy how phenomenal this season has been so far for season four. So we're going to be talking about resilience, right? We oh, wait, Ronnie. Huh? Uh, my mom just texted me and said, Ronnie is fine, but he needs to not talk about her Cowboys. <laughs> Mama Mama Pitts, I, I love you too, but it's not too late to to pick a new team, okay? <laughs> it is not too late. It's just not. As long as there's breath in your lungs and blood flowing through your veins, you can too make a choice for yourself. <laughs> but I'm going to need you to do that, Mama Pitts. It's never going to happen. This resiliency that you have over this team is just crazy, which we know resilience is the athlete's capacity to maintain psychological and physical well-being in the face of adversity. But how do we build resilience, not only in sports, but in life? So we have a very special guest coming back again today, Mr. Danny Covey, who is going to be talking about resilience from his own perspective and some things that might be able to help, you know, athletes, their parents, mm -hmm. friends, family, coaches, and just in life in general. So we're going to be getting to that in a few seconds. Um, Dr. Pitts, I do have a special shout out real quick. Um, speaking of high school, I would like to shout out my former high school, Matoka High School, who is playing in the state semifinals today at two o'clock. They're nice. playing against Stonebridge High School up in Northern Virginia. It is the first time Matoka has been in the state semifinals since 1993. So wow. I was just a, a, a baby infant the last time Matoka was in the state semifinals. So okay. good luck to them today against the Stonebridge yeah. Bulldogs. It is going to be a hellacious game. Matoka's wow. going to have to play their greatest game of their lives today. Stonebridge is a perennial powerhouse in the state of Virginia. They're either wow. in the state semifinals or state championship game literally every year. So it is going to be a great game. Shout out to those boys. They've had a phenomenal season. So good luck to them today. Um, and then I know we have a mental health tip of the week, Dr. Pitts. So I'm gonna let you go first and then I'll piggyback off of you. So, um, Eric said that you are passive aggressive. <laughs> he just texted me that. Um, so it's sort of kind of a mental health tip of the week, but it's something, you know, I'm, I'm, I bleed sports, right? So I was watching ESPN yesterday and Josh Pascal, the defensive end for the Detroit Lions, um, shared that back in 2018 that he was diagnosed with malignant melanoma and he was mm. talking about his journey. Yeah, it was what he thought was a blood blister on the bottom of his foot and then when um, he went to, to the dermatologist to have it checked out and they biopsied and everything and they found out that it was malignant melanoma and then mm. to add insult to injury they discovered that it was so deep in the tissue in his foot that it was on the verge of spreading throughout his body. Oh, and man. the reason why I wanted to bring that up is because I too am a survivor of malignant melanoma. 
when I was diagnosed at the age of 14, I was only given six months to live. And I was the first African-American in the history of the University of Pennsylvania Hospital to be treated for malignant melanoma. And people, this is an aggressive, aggressive form of skin cancer that as I've talked to different people about it, you know, and I say this respectfully, people are ignorant about a lot of things and they don't know what they don't know. And they hear malignant melanoma and they think that because it's not prostate cancer or because it's not breast cancer or bone cancer or lymphoma or leukemia that, oh, that's just skin cancer. Oh, that's just a mole. But they shared something that was just so earth shaking to me having survived it myself and knowing how aggressively that cancer was moving through my body that I called my mom because, and I didn't know this until yesterday, the statistics show that black men have the highest rate of death when it comes to malignant melanoma diagnosis. Of all of the population, black men have the highest death rate when diagnosed. That is necessary for people to know because they're making light of it. And Ronnie, you, you said it, right? Before the show, you were talking about some health conditions that you were having and how long it's been since you had been to the doctors. And what I want to say is we have to emphasize the importance of not dismissing things, you know, particularly, and, and I don't want to say it in a gender biased way, but what I know to be true is that there are a lot of men, not all, but there are a lot of men that because of your machismo, you're, you're, you're just not going to the doctors. You're not getting your routine maintenance and your checkups and what have you the way that you should. And you might think, oh, this, you know, I'm from a family that has a bunch of moles or whatever the case may be. But one of the things that um, Josh Pascal said is that the other thing that was concerning is that it was starting to bother him. He noticed that it was getting bigger and it was really starting. You cannot ignore these things. You absolutely positively cannot dismiss it. You cannot make light of it because malignant melanoma is an aggressive form of cancer that will kill you and it can spread like wildfire and it will take you out of here. Don't dismiss it because it's not prostate or because it's not lung or any of the other cancers. It's melanoma is, is almost like it's, it's the lurking in the shadows cancer. Because people don't take it as seriously as they should, it can take you out of here and you won't know, you know, what hits you. So please, 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 please get screened. Make your routine checkups a priority. Don't ignore anything because it can sneak up on you and take you out of here and it doesn't have to because it can be treated. And, and the treatments are aggressive too. I was under treatment care at the University of Pennsylvania Hospital for 10 freaking years. And even now at 56 years old, you know, my mom will be here in a couple of weeks over the Christmas holiday. And she's like, she has, you know, Terminator scanner. Is that a new mole? Is that a new mole on your neck? Is it growing? Is it bigger? Is it bothering you? Because that concern is there. So I just wanted to say that. Thank you for sharing that. And, um, you know, shout out to Josh Pascal for being so yeah. open and transparent about his yeah. um, his health concerns and everything. And yeah. you're right. You know, um, 
men, we oftentimes don't go to the uh, doctor or hell, even to the dentist for that matter. Um, and we should. I actually uh, I actually have a doctor's appointment this coming Tuesday to get a physical and get some blood work done because it's been a couple of years since the last time I've been. Um, and it's important to know, you know, on, on my uh, both my uh, parents side of the family, they have, uh, you know, they you name it, cancer, diabetes, high blood pressure, hypertension, you name it. Somebody in the family's had it. Um, and more specifically, diabetes. You know, I, my dad lost both of his parents to diabetes, um, had both of their legs amputated and things like that. And for those who don't know about diabetes, you know, once they start amputating limbs, um, it's, it's not good. Um, at that point, the diabetes has, you know, had gotten so much control over your body that it's really just a waiting game at that point. Um, and so, yeah, it is really important for us to have uh, some idea of what our health is. And it, I think a lot of times we get scared of things that we can't control in that moment. You know, I think a lot of times we don't want to go to the doctor and it be bad news. And, and we shouldn't think that way that we only go to the doctor for bad news. You know, we talked about this in therapy with mental health. You know, people don't just come to therapists because they're always dealing with bad issues. Some people come to uh, uh, therapy because they want to maintain their good mental health. They want to be able to maintain having a objective opinion uh, about what they have going on. And so we should look at physical health the same way, too. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Um, my mental health tip of the week, um, I'll keep it very short and sweet. Um, but Dr. Piz, I think you'll relate to when I say this, you know, sometimes throughout the week when you have sessions and things like that, you start to notice themes amongst your clients. You know, um, sometimes you'll have clients who have similar stories and things like that, or even for that week, they'll have similar updates. And you're just like, man, did y'all all talk or something like y'all got the same thing going on? Um, and so this week, um, one of the themes I noticed is in um, it's tied around emotional regulation and emotional intelligence and maturity. But one of the things I found myself talking with clients about this week is this idea of there is a big difference in validating your emotion and validating the false reality that was invoked by that emotion. And so what I mean by that is I'll give a great example. So let's say, for example, you are scared of flying. Right. Which I think most people for the first time is probably, you know, at the bare minimum, nervous of flying. Right. Um, and what are some of the reasons people are nervous about flying? Well, the biggest one is, well, it's going to fall out the sky and crash. You know, it's going to break apart. Engine going to fall apart. Plane going to break in half. You're going to free fall for six miles and, you know, come to your demise. Um, some other people say, well, hey, I don't know what type of state of the mind the pilot's in the day. I don't know if he had a good night's sleep, great day, whatever the case may be. I don't know if this plane's been maintenance, whatever the case may be. There's a thousand scenarios we can generate in our mind for why we're nervous of getting on a plane. And so the point of validating the emotion is that, yes, you are entitled to be nervous, scared, fearful, anxious about getting on the flight. But if we were to validate the false realities in this instance, and what I mean by that is you get on the flight, you go to where you need to get to, you get off the plane, your feet, feet are back on the ground, you're all in one piece, you got all your luggage and everything. But in your mind, the reality you're still stuck on is, Damn, man, that turbine, we could have died right there, man. We could have crashed. We, man, we could have fell. Like, man, what would happen if we had died on this flight? And that's trying to validate a false reality to make sense of the emotions that you felt. And we cannot do that. I think a lot of times when people are dealing with emotions and the situations that invoke them, they feel that in order for me to validate this feeling, I also have to validate the situation that happened. And that's not the case. We know that irrational thoughts and sometimes, you know, just foolish thoughts come into our mind. 
the goal of being able to have clarity and self-awareness is not to be able to block out bad thoughts and not have bad thoughts anymore, but it's to understand that if I cannot prove this thought to be true, if there's nothing going on in my reality that validates this thought, then I simply cannot hold on to it or believe it to be true. Yes, you can be nervous. You can be scared. You can be angry. You can be sad, happy, ecstatic, anxious, whatever the case may be. But I don't have to validate the false reality or the false situation that generated in my mind just for me to feel safe about the feeling I had. Those are two completely different instances. And so I encourage everybody out there listening today that, yes, please continue to validate your emotions. Those are your superpowers. That is the bits of information and data that your body is processing in real time to let you know how your body feels about the situation that you're experiencing and doing or going through in that moment. But please, please, please do not allow yourself to validate the false realities that come from that situation. Because if the reality says this did not happen, you were okay, you were safe, those things that didn't happen, the worst case scenario did not happen in that moment, then we have to allow that moment to pass. We cannot hold on to it because those are two different things. And then I think that's where a lot of people get struggled at when they have conversations with loved ones or friends and things like that, is that they explain the situation, they explain the emotion they felt from it. And then when their friends or their family do not validate the false reality, they get mad and take it as if they're not validating the feelings. No, there's two completely different instances. So I just wanted to share that for people out there listening, that you are always entitled to your feelings. Nobody can ever tell you what feelings you are not entitled to have, experience, feel, whatever the case may be. But a real good friend, a real good family member, a real good spouse, partner, whatever the case may be, will not and should not allow you to validate the false realities that come from those feelings. And so I just want to share that this morning for those out there listening. Um, and I think that's a really good tip to uh, really take with you into, uh, into this next week. Absolutely. It's great. And, and validating that false reality keeps that core negative inter interactive pattern that we talk about going. You, yeah. you need to be able to challenge those cognitive distortions with reality what are three realistic i mean truly real alternatives to that distorted thought that you're having that you're so frustrated that people won't validate mm -hmm. you've you've got to do the self-work you have to absolutely. do the self-work absolutely so yeah. let's jump right into this topic I, and i like this topic and i think this is a really great topic to end the year <laughs> off on when we talk about resilience so mm -hmm. danny i wasn't uh, uh fortunate enough to be a part of the last episode you were here um, so if you don't mind really quickly for the people, I'm people in this instance who did not get to hear your background and a little bit of your story, but if you could just tell the people again, a little bit about your background and how you got to be where you are today. And then I guess we can also segue into what does resilience mean to you and from your perspective? Yeah, absolutely. I'll give you the, uh, the quick pitch. Um, I'm the husband to one fantabulous wife, uh, the father to three amazing kids and the, the survivor of eight heart surgeries. And so kind of the backstory of really quick on some of this, I've had open heart surgeries. I've had four open heart surgeries and a total of uh, eight surgery, eight heart surgeries. My first surgery was at 11 months old, then 18 months old, two surgeries at eight, surgery at 12, 13, 14, and then 40. So in between 1985 and 1990, I had five heart surgeries in five years. So I've grown up very comfortable. I shouldn't say comfortable. Being in the hospital was a very normal thing for me. 
And there's a certain irony that's not lost on me here. I'm talking to an avid Cowboys fan and an avid non-Cowboys fan. And for me, growing up, sports was never part of my life because I just couldn't. I did not have that quality of health. And martial arts, that journey for me and, and getting involved in that and discipline my body, that came much later in life. So I feel I'm blessed to be here with you, but some of this is just a world I never knew. And originally I was diagnosed with sub, it was called subaortic stenosis and supramitral stenosis. I had a problem with my mitral valve, my aortic valve. I had surgery after surgery where they would try and expand my aortic valve and then it would constrict. And eventually they removed it. And when I was 14, they put in a mechanical valve. So my heart actually ticks like a watch. And if it's quiet enough, you can hear it. But once I had that surgery, my quality of life changed. And suddenly I could start doing things that we often take for granted, like running, mm -hmm. like sports. I learned to shoot a basketball in my late teens because I just had never done it. So that's been kind of my journey. And just that story of resilience for me was as a kid from a hospital bed watching Jackie Chan or Bruce Lee on TV. And I looked at that and I thought, these guys are magic. I mean, I look what they're doing with their body. They're spinning, they're flipping. And that was the seed of an idea that I thought, man, I want to do this someday. I don't know how. There's, it's impossible. Given, you know, I can barely walk sometimes, but I want to do that. And that's really kind of that spark of resilience. That's kind of where it started for me as a kid. Wow, man. Wow, that well, we're talking about resilience, man. That is um that's crazy. That has eight heart surgeries. My goodness. Um, well, it's an honor and a blessing for you to be on here with us, man. Um, to have you on here because you know, when we talk about resilience, you know, and everybody's perspective on resilience is different, and everybody what they have to endure and go through in life is, you know, sometimes the most important thing or the most impactful thing in their life. Um, to hear that, man, especially at such a young age, as early as 11 months old, man, was that a condition that was um, like a genetic condition or was it yeah. just? Yeah, I was um, born with I was born with a congenital heart defect. And so I was missing a leaflet in one of my valves. And um, yeah, I just it was a reality growing up. So. So I, I saw in your bio from uh, your last episode that you are a black belt in, in uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, correct? Yes. Uh, Jap Japanese jiu-jitsu. Japanese jiu-jitsu. I'm yep. sorry. So tell us a little bit about that journey. of the Because now I've never done any formal martial arts before outside of just wrestling my friends in the uh, in the backyard or at school or everything. Um, so for somebody who has never stepped foot in is, as a dojo, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for somebody who's never stepped foot in a dojo, talk to us about that process of, 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 of earning and achieving your black belt in Japanese jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Um, so Resilience really starts with just a baby step. And for me as a kid, that baby step was, as I'd mentioned, I'd see Jackie Chan. And when I was a kid, I begged and begged and begged my dad to buy me this karate book. It was called Karate for Beginners. And 
that was the beginning. I took that book home and there were like step-by-step instructions. So I'm in my bedroom, take my shirt off. I stand in front of my mirror and I'm holding the book and it says, this is how you punch. So I'm punching. This is how you kick and I'm kicking. And that journey that led to a black belt started as a kid, very modestly in my bedroom, looking ridiculous, doing homeschool karate. That's what that journey looked like for me. It was just, that was the one thing that I could do. And so when my health improved when I was a teenager, man, I wanted to get into martial arts. And my parents were against it. My cardiologist was against it. My surgeons were against it. And I said, what if I did it? But I was very careful. What if, you you know, I didn't compete? What if I just showed up at the dojo, did the training? And they very reluctantly agreed. And again, that was just another baby step to get immersed into that world. So it's like anything. You want to go into the NFL. you You want to train. Show up to practice when you're 16. Just do that one thing that you have to do that day. And mm-hmm. that's how that journey begins. What I love about what you said, Danny, is that when I'm talking to my clients about resilience, because people, I mean, all day, every day, right? You know, people have survived trauma and all types of things, right? And they say, you, you know, Dr. Pitts, you know, I'm a, when I ask them what their strengths are, you know, I'm resilient, I'm resilient, I'm resilient. And respectfully, I push back sometimes and I say, well, are you really? And they'll say, well, what do you mean? And I say, well, I believe in this line of work has really illuminated this for me. I believe that many people navigate life on what I call resilience autopilot, right? In other words, this is a 16.9 ounce bottle. This is a 10 ounce glass, right? And if this glass is constantly overflowing, emotionally dysregulated, depression, anxiety, um, uh, you you name it, right? The the, the various nervous breakdowns, the different types of mental health issues that we see as mental health practitioners, then what this suggests to me is that you have the appearance of being resilient, but when you know what resilience really is, it becomes evident that the person is not really resilient. For you, to me, you embody resilience because true resilience is one's ability to empty this cup so that it doesn't overflow, so that it doesn't burst. And it sounds like that's what jujitsu was for you. Jujitsu was your pro-social coping mechanism that was instrumental in helping you to empty the cup of life so that you could navigate all of the challenges that you were experiencing in a much healthier way. So I just wanted to to make that illustration for our listeners because people, that people falsely believe that they're resilient without realizing that, yeah, you know, respectfully you're, you're not because you're not properly engaging in activities and practices that are going to be instrumental in helping you to empty your cup of life, which is what true resilience really is. So I just wanted to add that. Yeah. And illustrate that. Can I, can I add something on that too? Oh, please, please. Cause, cause there's, there's something that people have said, they'll say you're a survivor. And I kind of hesitate at that term because I think when you go through trauma or difficulties, it's not enough just to survive it. And so I I catch people, I say, I'm a thriver. 
because it's one thing to endure all of this. It's a different thing to, for me, like I've thought long and hard about it. Why martial arts after everything I've been through? And for me, it was, it was a form of personal agency where I'm taking control of the things that I can take control of, even if it's just standing in front of a, a bedroom mirror and throwing a punch, and that's all I can do. I'm taking charge. So that's why I, I do make the distinction. I'm not just surviving. I'm thriving. I'm actively changing my attitude in this, not just like enduring it. That's a, that's a great point. We talk about that all the time, too. Um, there's a difference in, you know, being able to survive the times and then flip that switch from surviving to thriving. And a lot of times individuals get stuck in that survivor's mentality. They wear it as their identity or that's how they yeah. feel that I'm always surviving. And if you're always surviving, you don't give yourself the ability or the mental space to even try to thrive. Right. Yeah. And that's a really great point. Part of resilience, too, um, is having a level of optimism. Um, and I wanted to ask you um, from very early on, even before your conscious memory, um, you were dealing with these heart issues. You were having these heart surgeries well before you consciously even knew about it. Yeah. Where, what helped you maintain and build your level of optimism about your life as you got older, despite the challenges and adversities you had to face? Yeah, um, I'll state it very plainly. I had faith in God. And I think a step back from that, <clears throat> for, for maybe for people that you know don't have faith or aren't religious, it's believing that there's purpose in the things that you go through. There's purpose in your suffering. So whether or not you believe in God, which I do, and I believe God orchestrated this and allowed it, even if you don't believe that, just assuming, hey, there's a reason why I'm going through this, <clears throat> and 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 just understanding this did not happen by accidents. It's not just accidental. And when I think through kind of what I've been through, and this this speaks broadly to what you were saying about the victim mentality and surviving, you will never, ever, ever, ever get an answer to the why me question. Bad things will happen all the time. You'll never know why. Mm -hmm. So, but you will get answers if you say, what is this teaching me? And to ask that question assumes there's a reason. And to assume there's a reason means there's purpose. Mm -hmm. And for me, so yes, growing up, my optimism came from my faith, but it also came from the fact I assumed, hey, there's something to be learned. This next surgery that I'm going through, what is it going to teach me? What can I learn from it? And I think that's the difference between a victim and a victor mentality. That's resilience. Absolutely. Go ahead. That's right, huge. Go ahead, yeah, yeah that, that that is that is so huge, and I, and it's crazy because Ronnie, when you talk about themes that come up, and I'm just like, oh my god, I literally just said this to a client on Thursday that there's behavioral and relational patterns and themes that emerge every single solitary day and every single solitary week, and that victim mentality is one that I find myself constantly challenging my clients about because it my clients' behaviors and their attitudes suggest that one's human nature is to default to victim, right? Mm -hmm. And I said, you have to take responsibility and accountability on a daily basis instead of why me, why me, why me, why me? I'm like, it ain't always about you. <laughs> it ain't always about you. And I know that's a hard pill for people to swallow, but it's like for those of us that do believe in God, right? 
for some people, we may be the only God that they see in, in, in that example, right? So it's like, if you're someone who is just, bogged down with cognitive distortions and, you know, why me? And I could have this and I could have that and I couldn't the other. We're examples. We're godly role model and examples. We are living, breathing witnesses of the fact that it doesn't always end badly. And there is light at the end of the tunnel. And how will you ever know how truly strong you are if you never go through anything? If everything in life is just handed over to you, oh, clinically, we're going to call that destructive entitlement. Right. If you if everything is given to you on a silver platter, how are how are you ever going to know? How can you teach some hypothetically? Right. You're that adult that doesn't ever want to go through anything. You want everything to be easy for cheesy all the time. But guess what? You have children that are human beings and they're going to go through stuff. How are you going to properly equip them to be able to handle those things that they cannot control? That's what I did in my Facebook live on Thursday was. How do you manage things beyond your control? How can you teach anything if you never go through anything? And people want everything to be easy. Yeah, well, welcome to life. It's not. Life is ebbs and flows and peaks and valleys. And if you don't learn how to build up your emotional muscles, if you don't learn how to to build up your life muscles, you're going to be all types of jacked up all the time. And it's going to always be somebody else's fault. Stuff is happening to you instead of through you. Yep. And that's what people need to get. They need to understand that things are happening through us. And a lot of times the things that are happening through us aren't even about us at all. Right. hundred percent. Danny, I wanted to ask you, as you navigated your journey um, through uh, Japanese jujitsu into becoming a black belt, what were some of the challenges and adversities you had to overcome, especially once you started to get up to the higher belts and practice and things like that becomes more physical, more grueling, more taxing? What were some of the things you learned about your body and yourself through those moments as well as along your journey? Yeah, definitely limitations are parents, cardiologists, doctors, but personally, <clears throat> my health improved. But man, there was this wall that I just could not get past. And I didn't want special treatment. So when I started for the first almost year, I didn't tell my instructors, I didn't tell anyone I had a heart condition. And so about a year in, I was training for a test and I was just winded. I had nothing. And I was gasping for air and they're like, come on, go, go, go. And I said, I just need a minute. I had heart surgery. And that's the only time I ever mentioned it. And they, when they found out they were angry and upset, they're like, you have to tell us. But the real challenge for me is I hit, I do hit a wall that I just, my body just cannot get past. Mm. And so the challenge for me was, could I do this black belt exam without special treatment, stay within my limit and, and get through it. And that's always been the challenge. So I always joke, I'm the hardest working person in the dojo. I've got the fastest heart rate. My heart's beating the hardest. But it meant on the other side, man, my techniques had to be perfect. So it, my, my, they had to be sharp here because I knew the my cardio was going to be weak. And so I did my best to train for that. But that was the real challenge. The black belt test was six hours. And it's it's long. It's not continuous. Like it's it goes in in you know you're up for twenty minutes and then you you break for five. So it just became, could I maximize those break times, and still get through? 
And if my mind is sharp, then that can pick up where my body's weak. And that was, that was tough. Yeah, I, I would definitely imagine. Um, being a, uh, being a jujitsu uh, black belt and things like that, what are some of the benefits and qualities you would say? Um, and I just, this is about to be a long winded question, but I'm gonna build it up for you. Okay. Um, I, I can't speak for how Canada is. Um, as far as like young men and, you know, um, you know, becoming a man, what it means to really become a man, a protector and provider and things like that. Um, but here in America, um, you know, it's kind of obvious to the world that we have a huge uh, men issue. And what I mean by that is um, a lot of our young men, unfortunately, do not know how to protect themselves. They do not know how to fight. And a lot of times, especially in black and brown communities, we resort to violence, whether it's gun violence, using other type of weapons and things like that. For the young men who are listening to this show, what would you say are some of the benefits and qualities of learning? And it doesn't have to necessarily be jujitsu, but what do you think are some of the benefits and qualities of learning real martial arts, real fighting techniques to defend yourself and have a sense of, you know, that you can protect yourself? Yeah, it, Dr. Pitt said it earlier. If, if everything you do is easy, mm-hmm. you're not building anything. I mean, bodybuilders build their muscles by breaking them down every day. So my my advice was to anybody is just do hard things. Do something that you're not comfortable doing that's going to be a challenge, that's going to test you because you need that. And for me, martial arts was, I didn't know if I could do it. And it was going to be hard. And it's a mental challenge. It's a physical challenge. Your blood, sweat, tears goes into that. And you need that. And you're surrounded by a community of people with a common goal. You're struggling together. So you need other people. You can't just go do things solo. But do hard things. Challenge yourself. It's a discipline to to drag yourself into the dojo, or in your case, drag yourself out on the field and show up to practice. It's a discipline to eat, right? It's a discipline to practice. You have to do those hard things because that's where progress comes from. And like I say it this way, if you want a meaningful life, go struggle. Mm. Because you can't chase happiness. Happiness is a byproduct of doing something where you've struggled. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, if, yeah, if somebody dropped you on top of a mountain and like, look at the view. It's nice. You climb that mountain. And then you see the view. You did that. Breathtaking. Yeah, exactly. So that's my advice to anybody. You want meaning in your life? Go do something hard. I love that. I love that quote. And Danny, I want to, I hadn't shared this before the show, but I want to thank you because in preparation for the show and, you know, as you can imagine for us as clinicians at us keeping our resilience muscles strong is really imperative to us being able to do this work effectively. And Several years ago, I went through martial arts training and I went through self-defense training and I had been thinking, I had been talking to my husband about it off and on. And then in preparing for this show, I, I literally, I just told my husband, uh, we, we talked about it again about a week or so ago. And I said, babe, I, like, I think the time is now. So actually on the 16th of December, I resumed my martial arts and my hand-to-hand combat and awesome. self-defense training because I recognized that that is one of the key ways for me to empty my cup. And and I say this joking, but it's serious. I actually like to fight. Yeah. <laughs> I like I've... to fight. And I'm like, shut up, Ronnie. <laughs> and 
I like the fight and the to be able to get and, and here's the thing all day every day we're taking in all of this toxicity right and I definitely have you know my self-care is a priority and I have a number of different ways that I empty my cup but I also recognize that and, and I say this humbly but the truth I have a violent streak mm-hmm. and I remember when I was going through my original um, training was Hapkido and my instructor, Master Glenn Bishop in Tallahassee, Florida, he said, Lauren, you're going to mess up somebody's deck. <laughs> but what I loved about Master Bishop was he really taught me the importance of the self-control and the self-discipline and being able to harness, right? Being able to harness all of the that negative energy in a positive and productive way. And I told my husband last week, I was like, no better time but the present. So I'm, 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 I'm about to do the darn thing because that was one of my dreams a long time. I was like, I want to be able to earn my belts and really be able to 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 get to that next level in my martial arts training. And then you know, periodically, I might have to drop kick Ronnie or something when he's yeah. talking trash. Well, well, I, <laughs> so I, I, I like that because preparing for the show, it was like preparing for the show was like it sealed it for me. I was like, you know what, Danny can do it. I can do it. <laughs> I'm gonna but do it. I love it because um in your case, you've got this violent tendency, right? You can't turn that off, but you can channel it. Right. And that's that's the big thing. And I know um I'm sure I'm sure you're both familiar with Jocko Willink. Yes. So when he's got when he's dealing with soldiers with PTSD or they're coming back, his advice is go start Brazilian jiu-jitsu that's your therapy and you think about like i know like i've looked into the neurology of it when you're struggling physically or mentally go do something physical i i swear i swear to god i i tell all young men because i think and danny i think you will agree with this and not to say that dr piss wouldn't agree with it but i think for young men I think a lot of times for men who don't know how to fight or protect themselves, they think that getting into that red rage of just impulsive anger is like a a, a a weapon for them that they can use. Not knowing in reality, most street fights last 30 to 45 seconds because nobody yeah. has the physical cardio conditioning to literally duke it out with somebody, slam them on the ground, struggle with another person for longer than that time if you've never done anything hard or any type of physical training. One thing I tell all young men to do, if you are angry in the moment, drop down and do 10 push-ups. Yep. If you're still angry after you get up doing those push-ups, do 10 more. And if you're still angry after that, maybe we need to have a conversation. But the point of it is, I think a lot of times because we get angry over something that irritates us or is frustrated, and a lot of times that I always say anger is a secondhand emotion, meaning that other feelings have to be present first before you start to recognize that you're angry, mad, outraged, whatever the case may be. And if we can really get down to the root of what's causing you to have this overt anger, we can help you channel that when it happens again, as opposed to having this white rage and just wanting to just start teeing off, throwing haymakers, kicking, screaming, punching, and all that. If you're that angry, do some push-ups. If you're still angry after doing two or three sets of push-ups, we need to have a conversation. But typically, when people do just one set of push-ups, they're like, hey, like, whoo, all right, okay, I'm not angry, I'm tired now. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You know? Can I? That's a really great point. Can I add Mm -hmm. something? Because I think you're bang on. Um, My last surgery, 
I, I didn't have blood or oxygen for about nine minutes. And as a consequence, I suffered some uh, cognitive challenges. Mm-hmm. And what that has meant for me is I get overwhelmed more easily, confused more easily, very forgetful. And mm-hmm. so I've looked into the neurology of it. I've seen a neurologist. I've had MRIs done. And for me, when I felt stressed or overwhelmed, I would walk. Mm-hmm. And if I if I exhausted myself walking, you know, and, and by walking, I mean, I'd go two hours and walk. That was my daily habit for like years. Mm-hmm. Then I found, you know what, when I'm stressed, instead of taking two hours to go for a walk, go for a 10 minute run, but just go flat out as hard as I can. Mm-hmm. And then I got seeing, hey, if I'm at work and something's overwhelming me or I'm confused, go plank for two minutes, go do push-ups exactly what, like what you're saying mm-hmm. and exhaust your body very quickly, very hard. Mm-hmm. And it's like a, it's like a, a reset button for your brain. Yeah. And absolutely. it's amazing. It's so now I find like, if I've had a hard day, go do something hard mm-hmm. or even, even like immerse yourself in ice water, shock your body, do something that's just, you wouldn't, I think to do it, but just pushing, you'd be amazed at what that does for your brain. The, the mental health our anger. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Dr. Pitts. No, I, I was just going to say real quick, the, the mental health piece. Um, my great nephew, he's 12 years old in seventh grade, and we were having an issue with him <laughs> being bullied. And he had, and he's just a really, really laid back kid, um, you know, navigating some childhood trauma and things like that. But that rage, Ronnie, that you talk about, right? It's like he can go from zero to 100 in 1.3 seconds flat. And then the whole middle school thing, you know, he he was being bullied. He got into a fight. The kids would say that he lost the fight. And what he, he finally admitted to my sister, his grandmother, was that he was scared. And he like, and who wouldn't be afraid about getting beat up when when you're bullied, right? he was scared. And what I so appreciate about my sister and my nephew, his father, is that they recognize like how to, and us talking and throwing out, like, how do we, how do we address this? How do we rechannel this fear and this rage so that Mm -hmm. this kid feels comfortable interacting because he was playing football, but it wasn't enough. Like he was still navigating school every day, scared, Mm -hmm. put him in karate. You talk about it significant significant improvement to his mental health to his self-esteem to his confidence the whole nine yards he absolutely positively loves it and he wants to earn his belts and it's giving him something to channel all of that energy and because he's smart as a whip he does really good in school but now just the overall confidence and what that is doing for his overall mental health not seeing signs of depression anymore not isolating like he was anymore. Mm-hmm. He's coming back to this amazing, wonderful kid that he's always been because he's finding himself through martial arts in ways that hadn't even been considered before. So trust and believe we are supporting that oh, yeah. through it. D- yeah. d- go as far as you can go and do the darn thing because of the positive impact that it's had on his overall mental health and well-being. Absolutely. I think 98% of men's anger does not come from a survival instinct of I have to protect my life in this moment. 98% of the time, it comes from a place of fear, 
false a false sense of uh, disrespect or having to, you know, uh, face ridicule, embarrassment, shame and things like that. And as men, you know, we don't like to be embarrassed, shamed, put down, bullied or anything like that. So a lot of times we treat those as if those are do or die situations. And if you don't know how to fight or if you don't know how to protect yourself, more times than not, that anger, that fear, that uh, scaredness will lead you into making an impulsive decision or temporary decision based off temporary feelings that have long lasting consequences. Shout out to your great nephew for, you know, being able to find something that builds his confidence in a genuine, authentic way and let him know that, hey, 95 percent of the time, half these kids that are bullying me are being bullied at home or being bullied elsewhere. Yeah. And they're projecting these insecurities onto somebody else. And I'm, that's that's what's up. That's really dope. Um, my final uh, piece that I had and I'll, I'll allow Danny to expound on this. Um, so I generated a list of, you know, we've talked about resilience and, and you've shared your phenomenal story of resilience. I think your story embodies resilience, you know, just from from childhood, adolescence, adult years and even to now in your uh, in your later adult years. Um, you're still you're still young. You said you're 47. So you're still young. You got a long time to go. But some of the things that I generated when we talk about what helps build resistance and some of the things you highlighted, doing hard things, doing things that challenge you and put you out of your comfort zone. Um, so I created a list of 10 things real quick to share with people that I think can help them build that foundation of resilience. Number one, like you said, finding purpose, right? Finding purpose in the sense of doubt, shame, embarrassment, whatever the case may be. Believing in yourself. I always tell people, unless you believe that you are worthy enough and competent enough to do anything and everything in your world, nobody else can believe enough for you to believe in yourself. So believing yourself is a big one. Developing a social network or what I like to call a village, having a village of support around you, close friends, close family, whoever wants to be in your village and can and generate authentic support and, and empathy for you is huge. Embracing change. Right. You know, we all know that the world is constantly changing day by day. So embracing change and not being afraid of change or, or being fearful of change and embracing it with an open heart and open mind is important. Being optimistic. And Danny, you, you spoke about that beautifully, about being optimistic, even in the face of adversity, even in the face of challenges and fear, being optimistic that there is an other side to this, that you can have a peace of moment of happiness and things like that. Nurturing yourself, right? We always talk about pouring into others and things like that, but we're no good pouring into others if we don't nurture and pour into ourselves too. Developing problem solving skills. Like you said, Danny, life is hard, right? And if we don't develop the proper problem problem solving skills, we'll begin to think that bad is normal and good is bad. Meaning that every time something bad happens to us, we think this is exactly how life is supposed to go. Or this is what expected of us, right? Establishing goals. And I think out of all the 10 that I'm going to say, this is probably one of the most important ones because in life, if we do not have something that we're striving towards or working towards, we're just wandering aimlessly. If we don't take our aim and aim at something that can be measurable, specific, relevant, and time-based, then we're just wandering for our life and we're just existing. We're not really living. And part of establishing goals is taking action with those goals. Take the action. Like you said, the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. We can't cover the thousand miles until you believe in yourself enough to take that first step. And then the last tip I have is committing to building skills over time, right? I always tell people, we don't get to a certain age where we just know it all, have figured it all out, know life and everything. Humans have only been around for a few hundred thousand years compared to the 90 plus billion years that this thing we call the universe and consciousness has existed. So we don't know it all. We'll never know it all. And that's a beautiful thing because each day means we can learn something new. 
regardless of how small or how big it is, if we're alive and we have blood flowing through our veins and breath in our lungs, there is something you can learn new that day. Um, so those are the tips that I have. Uh, Danny, if you have any other tips or if you want to expound on any of those, um, by all means, go ahead. No, I think you've covered them all. The um, The one thing that I might just add, and I've said it before, don't ask why, ask what. What can I learn? Not why did this happen? That's really it. Dr. Pitts? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I just have a couple that I want to um, add that sort of um, piggybacks or expounds on, on what you've already said. Um, and you mentioned it in the beginning, Danny. I think that when you ask the what, there's room in there to be thankful, right? Gratitude, is yeah. There's always somebody else in life who is going through much worse than what we're going through. And I think that that speaks to shelving the victim mentality, right? Yep. Look for the what in it, but be thankful for the opportunity to grow. Be thankful. Like when I look at, um, when I look at, at my journey, when I look at your journey, when I look at all of our journeys, I encourage my clients to look for the seed of equivalent benefit in every hardship or trial or tribulation that they endure. There's always something positive in even some of the greatest adversities that we experience and giving yourself permission to be thankful, to be grateful and to be intentional and in looking for that seed of equivalent benefit in whatever it is that you're going through is is going to build resilience. The second thing is, is, and you, you said it, I'm just going to reframe it is recognizing the victories in your life, right? Recognizing that, yeah, this thing has happened and it's sort of, you know, maybe yanked the rug out from underneath of me, but how can I capitalize on what I do have access to? How can I capitalize on the strengths that I do have that I can still yield positive results from and give yourself permission to acknowledge them instead of being problem focused all the time, be victory focused all the time. Look at, you know what? Well, yeah, that didn't go the way I planned or I can't do that, but I can do this and capitalize on that. Um, let me see, I had two more. Um, don't be so hard on yourself that get rid of the self-pity, get, get, you know, pry yourself off of, of the pity potty and, and, and shelve that, that victim mentality, help others. This is what this show is all about. This show is about educating and informing and empowering based upon the journeys of folks such as yourself that have gone through trials and tribulations. It's about the relationships and the mental health challenges and the success stories. And you can use that to help other people because it's not always about us. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing is, and you said it, you tried something new. Oh, I can't do this. Well, hmm, let me get this here. Good martial arts book and, and start giving it a try, try new things instead of wallowing in what you can't do and what you don't have. That's it. Only take some. Don't forget to wish people happy holidays. I was yeah. So, uh, Danny, thank you for being for blessing us with your presence again. Yes. And thank you for being our our final guest of the year, twenty twenty three. It has been a pleasure talking to you and, and meeting you for the first time today, man. Um, man, your your story is incredible. Um, I yeah. pray that God continues to bless you and your family and you Amen. all future endeavors. I um, mean, you continue to do very hard things that challenge you. 
Um, and for those who are listening, thank you for uh, continuing to rock with us and join us each and every well, not each and every Saturday this season, but every Saturday we're on here. Um, mm-hmm. That's it for 2023, y'all. We had a yeah. phenomenal year. Um, we'll be back here January 6th to start off yeah. the new year. Um, yeah. By that time, hopefully the Cowboys will be eliminated from the playoffs. Um, and that 2024 can start on the right <laughs> note. I don't think Dr. Pitts will have enough uh, training by then to drop kick me all the Run way in. yet, but give it time. <laughs> I know that is a challenge that will take her out of her comfort zone beyond the umpteenth degree. And so I'm going to be that motivating force for her to stay disciplined in that. So See, I don't say to- nothing bad about your Steelers. I never say nothing bad about your Steelers. Your Steelers you are balling out. I don't say nothing bad about them. You can't say enough bad things about them this season. I don't know how we keep winning. I never we say anything the- bad about them. We got rid of the OC and we still can't win. We lost to a team that don't even have a starting quarterback or a backup quarterback. So there's really nothing you could say. I'm a champion. All I know is I'm a champion. I'm a 2014 CIAA champion. Um, so I'm cool with that. But anywho, look, you all, I hope everybody has a fantabulous holiday season. Yes. Please love on your loved ones, your family, your friends, partners, spouses. And love yourselves. And love yourselves. Absolutely. Um, have a Merry Christmas, have a Merry Happy New Year, uh, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy all of them. Merry Christmas, uh, what is it? Uh, Christmas Hanukkah, Kwanzaa. There we go. For all <laughs> those who celebrate all three. Um, yeah. and yeah, thank you all for rocking with us each and every weekend. Um, uh, make sure that if you want to catch up on other episodes or uh, be ready for future episodes, catch us on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. We're almost, almost, almost at 100 subscribers. Please help us get over 100 so we can start doing more fun things for you all, have more yeah. better content. Um, catch us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. If it's TikTok. a social media network, Everywhere. we um, Thank you all again for rocking with us. We really appreciate and love everybody. Um, have a wonderful holiday season, and we'll catch y'all in 2024. Bye, everybody. Bye.